The following message is from Temple Bible Church. For more information about the church and its ministries, visit www.templebiblechurch.org. Mark chapter 12, beginning in verse 38. As he taught them, Jesus said, watch out, beware. This, this is a warning, guys. This is a warning. It's a passage. It's a warning from Jesus to the disciples. It's a warning from Jesus to us. Watch out for teachers of the law. They like to walk around in flowing robes and be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and have the most seats in the synagogues and the place of honor at banquets. They devour widows' houses and for a show make lengthy prayers. These men will be punished most severely. Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts. But a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a few cents. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all she had to live on. Father, as we look at the contrast, we look at this warning. Help us to be generous people. Help us not to live hypocritically. Help us not to look at uh, the spiritual life as what's in it for us but how we might pay you great glory. In Christ's name, amen. If you write in your Bibles, there are two words to underline in verse 38, beware or watch out, depending on translation you have, and scribes. This is a warning against the scribes. The scribes were the legal experts of that day and age. They were theologians, but legal experts as well. And uh, Jesus says, I want you to beware. I want you to be warned. When Jesus says, uh, this is a warning, beware, you should pay attention. There's something that's uh, given out every year. It's an award. It's not the Grammys. It's not the Oscars. It's called the Wacky Warning uh, Awards. It's put out by a group in Michigan. They look at products, actually, that came out in the past year. And uh, I've done this many years. Uh, you, some of you have seen uh, that in past years. These are the awards from 2013. Jesus issues a warning. It's a lot different than the warnings issued on products. Here's one attached to an electric razor. Never use while sleeping. Amen? I mean, that's probably wise advice. Here's a warning actually attached. This is a pillow for kids, neck pillow for kids. Keep products away from infants and kids. You tell me how that's going to work. Here's another one. Harmful if swallowed. <laughs> Anybody out there going to try and swallow that thing? I want to see your hand. Yeah, if fish need to read that warning, right? Uh, here's one. Do not hold chainsaw on the wrong end. Uh, that's probably pretty good advice. Look at that finger, how it's already cut off right there. You see all that? I didn't notice that. We've got a guy here who's a hand surgeon who came and said, you need to uh, give that, send that to me so I can use it in my office right there. Uh, my favorite is this. It's the thermometer did not use orally after using rectally. <laughs> if you don't understand that, come see me later and I'll tell you what that means. Jesus issues a warning against the religious leaders of Israel. He uses a poor widow as a contrast to these arrogant leaders. It's a warning. A warning. It's not a wacky warning. It's a true warning. You see, the, this whole group is going to contrast this one lady, and, and they are condemned, and she is commended. They are prideful. She is humble. Uh, they are greedy. She is generous. And it's a contrast that stares at us from the pages of Scripture through the ages. It's a contrast that deals with two subjects, pride and money. Pride and money. So this morning, we're going to talk about those two things, pride and money. Pride and money. Uh, this is, it begins, the text begins in verse 38 with a warning about those who are prideful. He exposes their pride in verses 38 
39 in the first half of verse 40. He exposes their pride. In fact, there are six specific condemnations mentioned by Jesus towards the scribes, those who are in leadership in the temple. The pride of the religious leaders exposed it. There are six things I want to point out to you. First of all, they like to walk around in long robes. Now, we read that and say, well, what's the big deal about that? Well, it's really not a big deal. In fact, if you go back to Exodus chapter 28 in the Old Testament, it said that the priests could wear robes. But the problem is, by the time of Christ, the wearing of robes had disintegrated into two things. First of all, disintegrated into a display of wealth and displayed into a demonstration of arrogance. Wealth and arrogance. What happened is a lot of the priests would sew onto their robes jewels and other things to show how wealthy they were. And then the robes became distinguishing factors because they wanted to be separated from the laity. And therefore, when they appeared in public places, they could receive honor. And so it became a display of arrogance, became a display of extravagance. I've been asked over the years, why is it that Protestant pastors don't wear robes? First of all, you don't want to see me in the only robe that I own. That's the first thing. Secondly, and most importantly, in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse, uh, verse 9, it says, We are a chosen people, a kingdom of priests, and therefore we are all priests together. It's not that I'm the clergy and you're the lady. We are all in full-time ministry together. You've heard me say that many times, and we believe that with, uh, to the utmost of TBC. Scripture says in Ephesians 4, it's the job of apostles, of pastor, teachers, of evangelists to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. At TBC, there are only 11 of us on full-time pastoral staff. That's all, just 11 of us. There are over 3,000 people that attend on a week or right around 3,000 attend on any given weekend. And so the result is you do the math. There's no way 11 people can possibly care for a body of thousands of people. And so we equip you to do the work of the ministry. We share the ministry together. Every one of us is in vocation. Every one is in full-time ministry. We may get our checks at different places, but you're in ministry. When are you not in ministry? See, if you go to the golf course, you go to the deer lease, you go to work, you go to play, you've got a hobby, you go out with the girls and have a girl's night out, you are always in ministry, period. It never stops. You're always an ambassador for the Savior. And so I have no problem with guys that decide to wear robes in their churches. That's between them and whatever they decide between them and God. But we want as little separation as we can between clergy and laity because we believe we're all in ministry together. It's your responsibility, your job, my job to do ministry. Often tease, we go out to lunch on Sundays often, and whoever might be in the group or with, they'll look around and say, okay, you're going to pray. And I say, no, I'm not going to pray. I'm off duty. I'm finished for the day. Here's the reality. We're never finished. Not one of us. Not me, not you, not ever. And so they went around and they strutted their stuff and they walked around in long robes really so they could be recognized. A second specific condemnation, they desire respectful greetings in the marketplace. They love to be uh, made over in the marketplace. In fact, the Talmud spells out how Jewish people are to obey the law, how they're to apply the law. It's not the word of God, but it's the application of the word of God. And in the Talmud, there are about six pages that tell you how to greet a priest in the marketplace. Isn't that amazing? It, it tells you a higher degree. They, they desired so much respect that when they began to put together the Talmud, their interpretation of the law, they desired to have special greetings. And so there are about six pages that offer numerous special greetings to offer to priests and rabbis whenever you saw them in public. Yeah, I've got the opportunity to speak at a lot of different places. You invite me into the workplace. You invite me into your community organizations and uh, uh, once in a while uh, other conferences and overseas and you know, when you invite me, you introduce me. And, uh, you know, I, I like to have fun. You like to have fun. So respectful greetings, you know, I, that, that's not a big deal to me. 
So this Christmas, I'm invited to one of our local clubs, and uh, the lady from here at TBC who's introducing me says, uh, many of you know our pastor. He's been in uh, Temple for many, many years. You know our church, Temple Bible Church. Uh, Gary certainly needs no introduction, but I can tell you there are oftentimes he does need a conclusion. <laughs> when I first came here, uh, we had a little search committee. There was, was there about 40 folks at TBC. Cy Landrum was uh, one of the guys on that search committee, an older saint at that time. And I'll never forget, he called me aside and he said, Gary, in the benefit package we're going to give you, by the way, there, there weren't any benefits, but he, he said, uh, we're going to do this. We're going to start you with three weeks vacation. I thought, that sounds pretty good. He says, we're going to give you three weeks vacation because if you're good, you're going to need it. And if you're not, we're going to need it. <laughs> I understood what he meant. Uh, the, the scribes and the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they desired to walk around to be recognized. They wanted respectful greetings in the marketplace. They loved chief seats in the synagogues. Not cheap seats, but chief seats. That meant they sat in the front and looked out over those who were there to worship, not so they could see their flock and pray for their flock, but so they could be seen by their flock. And he says it's a problem. There's pride and there's arrogance. It became a problem in the first century church, so much so that James had to address it. He says, my brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, you should not show favoritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring, fine clothes. A poor man in filthy old clothes comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but say the poor man, you stand there or sit on the floor by my feet, you are guilty of showing favoritism and displaying special attention. By the way, one of the ways we apply that here at TBC, many of you are new to TBC in the last few years. We don't talk about this topic very often, but when it's here, we will. Uh, the topic of money and, and things, one of the things you need to know is that we will never know how much it is that you give to God. That's between you and him. I don't have access to that. Nobody in our building has access to that. Nobody in our leadership team has access once a year at the end of the year so you can get a tax statement. One of our secretaries hits a button and magically, however much you gave, appears and she puts that in an envelope and sends to you. But really, that, we're, we're, we can't show favoritism here because we don't know. I don't know if you've given uh, $10 or $100,000. You know why? Because if I know that you give $100,000 a year, probably I'm going to make sure that you're happy at TBC, that your needs are being met, and that you're being cared for, and I'm going to take you to lunch once in a while because I'm human. And I don't want that responsibility, and I don't want that temptation. So I have no idea what you give. I have no idea if you give I, I, because I don't want to know the opposite either. Because if you don't give, you're sinning. That's simple. If you're not giving, you're sinning. You're eating at the table and you're walking away without gracing God with your gifts. And that's wrong. And so I don't need to know that. I don't need to know who gives what. And so I don't want to know that. I don't know that. And so uh, no one here does. None of the elders, none of the staff has access to that. But I can tell you, I don't need to know for two reasons. One is, if you give a lot, I'm going to give you special treatment. If you don't give anything, I'm going to look at you and say, you sorry. No, I'm not going to say that. <laughs> but I am going to challenge you and say, you know what? You're living in sin. You're walking in sin. You're not using your money for the glory of God, period. And you should be living differently if you truly are a follower of Jesus. Uh, so he says they love places of honor at banquets. Uh, to me, I don't care. I don't want a place of honor if I'm at a banquet. I want the place where the food comes out first because it's the hottest and it's the best. <laughs> Arrogance, pride. Struggle with it. Solzhenitsyn says the, pri pri the pride of man grows on his heart like lard grows on a pig. Pride. We all wrestle with it at times. 
pride. Achieve a little success, we become prideful. Get a new position, we become prideful. Make a little more money, we become prideful. Our kids excel, we become prideful. We begin to brag, we begin to boast, and we don't honor God. We become prideful. And Jesus looks at this and says, these guys have problems. In fact, the scripture tells over and over, let the proud take heed lest they, what? Fall. God is opposed to the, who? Proud, but gives grace to the humble. So the scriptures are pretty clear, aren't they? And Jesus is calling these guys out. He's looking at them and saying, you don't want to be like these guys. Look at what they do. They want special attention. They want to go to special places. They want to do special things. Pride stinks. One author says this, pride is amnesia of the soul. It's forgetting God. How many of you listen to Matt Chandler or read a book by Matt Chandler? You know who Matt Chandler is. There you go. I listen to Chandler every week. I love young preachers who preach the word well. Chandler preaches the word well. I listened to him and another guy called Mark Driscoll. Both those guys are good preachers. I'm old and I want to learn to be better. And so I listen to those guys. Matt Chandler says this, The lust to be served, honored, noticed is nothing less than the lust to be treated like God. This monumental arrogance never can be satisfied, will never become God. That's why pride always leaves the aftertaste of frustration. So you want to be, you, you want, you want, you want, even if you get it, you believe frustrated. On the other hand, he says, humility can never be disappointed. If you want to serve someone, you can always find someone to serve, and in doing so, you'll experience the joy and the fulfillment of Christ. You see, if you really want to be like Jesus, you become a humble servant to other people. You don't look for the best seats in the house, and you don't look for to be recognized in the marketplace, and you, you, you don't look for, for places of honor at banquets. And he goes on, he says, they devour the houses of widows. Now, how could scribes do that? Well, if they were the legalese of that day and they were the legal people, maybe they, they, they did legal work and charged an exorbitant fee. We're not sure. Uh, maybe they uh, managed the property of widows and they had no family to do so, so they wrongly took from them. Maybe they preyed upon their hospitality. We're not sure. But here's what we do know. The widow was the powerless person of that day, and the scribe was taking advantage of her. In fact, at the end of James 1, James says, This is pure and undefiled religion that you ministered to whom? Widows and orphans in distress. Look at James chapter 1. I'm not making that up. That comes right out of the, the, the book of James. And so here were the leaders of the temple, the leaders of Judaism, the leaders of the religious establishment of that day, and they're doing exactly the opposite of what the prophet Amos said that I read earlier, and the opposite of what James says is true and undefiled religion. They're devouring the houses of widows. In fact, the widow we're going to read about in a minute is poor, and it could be that she is poor because of these very scribes. Could be. So they devour the houses of widows. They take from those who are powerless. They take from those that they are over. I thought about that, Gary. What's the application for us today? Whom would we devour? Well, many of you are headed out to luncheon here. How are you going to treat the waiter, the waitress, the cashier, and the restaurant that you're gone to? Some of you are going to go to HEB or to Walmart and buy groceries. How are you going to treat the people working in there? The people who cash you out. How are you going to treat the, the, the people who you may see as less than, than you? See, oftentimes there may be people sitting in the same room as you. Maybe some of our college kids waiting tables at Chili's or at BJ's. How are you going to treat them? How do you treat them? 
I, 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 how can we treat somebody with condescension and arrogance? How can we do that? Just because you have a little more money or have a little more intelligence? That's what these guys were doing. It's a story about a professor from the University of Arizona. It's written in the Arizona Republic. I'm not sure what city the Arizona Republic is printed in. I just have the story here. Terry Michael, professor, university, professor of English at the University of Arizona, was speeding because he was late for a class. He was pulled over by an unmarked Arizona Highway Patrol car. The officer pulled him over, heard his story, took pity on him, and let him off with a warning. Before he went back to his car, he turned to Dr. Mickle and said, slow down and drive safe. The English professor felt obligated to correct him. He said, excuse me, sir, but it should be slow down and drive safely. You said drive safe. The officer walked back to his car and wrote him a ticket for $172 for speeding. And he deserved it. Arrogance. F.B. Meyer was a pastor back at the turn of the last century. He took over Christ Church in London. Christ Church was known for its wealth and for the wealthy that attended. When Meyer was first called, he wanted to see that changed. So one of the first things that Meyer did, he began to go and do ministry in the slums. There was a garbage collector who became part of their church. One day, as Dr. Meyer was walking through the slums, he came across the garbage collector. The garbage collector cried out, Hey, Dr. Meyer. And Dr. Meyer went walking to him, stuck his hand out to shake it, and the garbage collector said, Sir, you could not shake the likes of my hand. Dr. Meyer said, There's plenty of soap and water at Christ Church. Let's shake hands. They walked down that same street, and there was a, a wagon with four garbage collectors on it. Uh, the man who was walking next to Meyer said, Hey, mates. This is the hand that Dr. Meyer shook. He's the new pastor of Christ Church. Would you come with me this Sunday? The story I have says that one of the four men said, if he's not too good to shake your hand, I'll show up at that church any Sunday. I don't know if all four of those guys went. I don't know the rest of the story. But he took care of those that were around him and loved and cared for the least of those. What about you? You've got a business? What about those people working for you? You're a contractor? What about those subs? You're a doc? What about those nurses? You're a nurse? What about those clerks? You're a principal? What about those teachers? You're a business owner? What about those people working for you? Do you love them and care for them as Jesus does you? Well, he says they devour the homes of widows, and finally he says uh, they pray to impress others. Look at the end of verse 30, uh, this uh, middle of verse 40. For appearances' sake, they offer long prayers. They pray lengthy prayers so people... You ever, you, ever, you ever go to an event and the person praying up front, I, I mean, they pray these long prayers, really not talking to God, but to impress the people out there. That's what he's talking about. I love the story, and I've used it probably a dozen times here at TBC. There was a young man who came to faith in Christ. He showed up at his very first prayer meeting. He's in a huddle with about 12 people, and he prayed, and he had never prayed publicly. He was nervous. Everything didn't come out the way he wanted to, but, but he, was, he, he, he prayed. The next evening, there was a knock at his door after he got home from work. He was sitting in the living room, knock on his door to, to his apartment. There were two deacons there, and they came in, and they uh, welcomed him, thanked him for coming to prayer, and they began to correct the way he prayed. And finally, he looked at him and he said, My good men, I'm sure you're here. Your intentions are good, but I've got to let you know something. I wasn't talking to you. <laughs> Who do you talk to when you pray? 
you know, who you talk to in that, in that small group, in that Bible study, in that Sunday school class? And if we hand you the microphone here, you're called on to pray at work, or maybe it's over a family meal. Maybe it's Easter coming up, and you're religious, so you get to pray at the family gathering. Who are you talking to? Jesus says about these guys, they're judged. They're judged. If you look at the end of verse 40, he says uh, uh, they will receive greater condemnation. They've been given much, and their example is unworthy. They allow pride to take root and reign in their heart. They're judged. Where does pride take root in your heart? Where is God trying to break it? Is there a crushing blow that it's going to take to free you from it? John Wesley used to pray, let me be nothing, let Christ be my all in all. Well, there's a contrast here. The contrast between the spiritual leaders and this lady. See, these are the guys who should be leading the way, who should be showing the way, who should be modeling the way. They should be the ones who are commended, but they're condemned, and she is commended. They should be the ones who are generous, but they're greedy, and she's the one who's generous. They should be the ones who model the way of God, but she is the one who points them to God. And so her reward, or the reward of her faithfulness, is cited by Jesus. Jesus sees this woman, place her to lepta, L-E-P-T-A, in, the thir- in one of the receptacles in the temple. The temple had 13 trumpet-shaped receptacles, and people would go and give their shekels, their offerings there. And this lady comes, and she puts two lepta in. That's the least amount that would be accepted as a temple offering. One lepta was not considered enough to give, so the Talmud says you had to give at least two leptas. A lepta was one one-hundredth day's wages. And so she has very little. In fact, she gives everything. Maybe her fortune was devoured or whatever she had was devoured by these very scribes, and therefore Jesus has them in contrast. Let me remind you, it's the last week of Jesus' life. It's Passover week. The streets of Jerusalem are crowded, the temple even more so. Worship is jockey for position to offer sacrifices through the priests, and I imagine they shove one another so they can get to the receptacles, some to give out of a grateful heart, some to give out of a greedy heart, some to be recognized, some to honor the one who is to be recognized. She gives a little, but her generosity is cited by Jesus. Although the amount is small, she gave her all. We've all studied this in Sunday school classes. We've looked at it, and we recognize that she is the gold medal giver of the New Testament. She puts two lepta in. Jesus points to her. He says, boys, to the disciples, come here. I want to show you something. You see that little old lady over there? You see that poor widow over there? She is the one who gave more than anybody else because she gave out of her poverty. She put in everything she owned. She's not concerned about where she's going to buy bread today, where she's going to find honey today, where she's going to get milk to drink today. She gave everything she had. She gave by faith. This is the original radical right here. This is radical. She gave everything she had. And I'm grateful and you're grateful Jesus doesn't call us that same commitment. Amen? <laughs> you want to be my disciple? Give me all your possessions. Everything. Everything. You live your life with open hands. Saying, God, what I have is not mine, it's yours. I'm just a steward. A steward is a caretaker. I am a caretaker of everything you've given me. And he's entrusted some of us with much, some of us with little. What kind of caretaker are you of what he's given you? You ever been on the receiving end from a poor person? I mean, here, think about what she's doing. She's given to the temple. 
She's given to God who has everything. If you've ever been on the receiving end of a gift from a poor person, you know what I'm talking about. I'll never forget gone to the Ukraine the first time, and as we're leaving, they lavish us with gifts. And it's like, please don't give us any more. Please don't. Walk in my office, you can see some of those gifts. I can remember going into the Rwandan refugee camps in Congo. And uh, we found out, uh, through your generosity, we went there and we did ministry to uh, about 300 pastors, actually about 200 pastors in tents in Congo. And we found out that the first time these guys could come together, and some of you have heard this story, and, and we found out that their food, they just don't have that much food. It's a refugee camp. There are 1.2 million refugees 30 miles apart from, in four camps from one, there are four camps 30 miles apart, one, two, three, and four, 1.2 million people. We found out that they love French fries. They'd never had French fries in the year they'd been in that camp. So we arranged, so your generosity, you sent money to feed the pastors. We wanted to feed them physically, and we wanted to feed them spiritually and physically. And so we found out that uh, we could buy potatoes and we could have those potatoes fried. And I'll never forget the first day I'm speaking just before lunch. All of a sudden, a smell comes from the tent next to us. I lost every one of those dudes, man. They were, their eyes begin to glaze over. They're, you know, I mean, they are smelling. And, and we had arranged through your generosity to buy enough potatoes to give everybody all the French fries they wanted. Well, if you know anything about African hospitality, the meeting is done. There are about five of us that are there as speakers and ministers to the pastors there. And it's time to go into the tent to eat. We pray outside the tent, and then we're supposed to go in this tent. And uh, you know what they do. Pastors, you come, you go first. And you go through this line, they heap your plate full of meat, which they had one time a week in the camps. That's it. We, may, we had ranges so twice a day they could have meat. And so I walk through this line, get rice, beans, meat, and a mountain of French fries. I mean, they put it on your plate. That's a mountain of French fries. I sit down. I can eat anytime, anywhere. I couldn't take a bite. I mean, I am so humbled. First of all, to go first. And secondly, these guys who hadn't had much food, every one of them lean and mean, hadn't had much food, were going to share with us before they even took a bite. And then they were given to us something they loved. So I just sat there. Guys came by and sat at the table with me. I'd just take a handful of French fries, stick on their tray. I said, guys, look at me. I eat well in America. I mean, I get all the French I can drown myself in French fries at McDonald's today if I want. And these guys generously said, it's yours. Take it. Wow. So what do you do with this? We've, we've been entrusted with much. Three quick applications will go home. Application number one, give of your first fruits. The scripture tells to give of your first fruits. In our house, the way we apply this, the very first thing we do, either we debit or write checks to TBC and missionaries from every check we're paid. Do you realize, I mean, we realize this. We give, we give thanks to God. We have not had a meal in 32 plus years that's not been provided by you, period, this body. We've been here 32 plus years, and through your generosity, every meal we've had has come from you. That's it. I've never had a job anywhere else since coming here. So your generosity. 
And so we give of our first fruits as well. Remember this, the scriptures say, if you sow sparingly, you reap sparingly. If you sow generously, you reap generously. Each of you should give what you've decided in your own heart. You've got to talk about, pray about what you're going to give and how you're going to give. Not reluctantly. You don't walk to the box and say, oh, shucks, I've got to give again. But rather, you give generously under compulsion. God loves a cheerful giver. There should be laughter in the hallways when you put money in the boxes. You give more than your money. See, in our culture, money is the easiest thing to give. If I told you right now, you can give $250 this month or you can work in the nursery every Sunday, mostly you would pony up 250 bucks. It's a reality. You're not going to give your time. You're going to give your money. That's the culture we live in. God's called us to do both. Paul says to the church at Thessalonica, because we loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our lives. We're to give of our treasure. We're also to give of our time. Finally, give generously. Be generous. I'm convinced of this. Once you fall in love with Jesus and understand what Jesus has done for you and understand how generous he was to you, you'll be generous. You'll be generous. My wife has taught me how to be generous. Bev is generous to a fault sometimes. If you invite us to dinner, we're going to come to your house and she's going to bring a little bag and she's going to give it to you because you've invited us to your house for dinner. Just the way she is. So if something happens to Bev, Lord help you. I don't know what goes in those little bags that she brings. <laughs> but, I mean, she's generous. I, I mean, I, I, I got an email today. I, I, I wrote a check for a blank because uh, there was somebody at the house and they are, you know, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, okay, babe, I mean, God's blessed us and so we're going to give. We're going to give until it hurts sometimes. Let's be generous. Let's be generous. That's what we should be. Martin Luther said there are three conversions necessary for every man. Conversion of the heart, the mind, and the wallet. The most resistant is the wallet. He's right. Told you one of my favorite bumper stickers we saw. I can't remember where it was. We were up north somewhere. The bumper sticker said, if you love Jesus, tithe, anybody can honk. (laughs) Not a bad bumper sticker. Be generous. Be generous. There was a kid who came to church on a Sunday. His uh, mom and dad had given 25 cents to put in the offering plate. When it went by, mom and dad couldn't come that Sunday. He came home sucking on a popsicle. Uh, dad said, uh, why, where'd you get the popsicle? He said, I used the money you gave me for the popsicle. He said, you're supposed to give it at church. He said, the pastor met me at the door. He got me in free, so I bought a popsicle on the way home. Be generous. A generous person will prosper. The generous will themselves be blessed. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, not to put their hope in wealth because it's uncertain, but to put their hope in God who richly provides for us everything for enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. What some of you need to know about TBC is 20% of every dollar that comes into our general fund goes to missions right off the top, period. We've done that for many, many years, and God has blessed us beyond belief. We're going to build a building. You know how we're going to build that building? We're going to bring in a capital campaign company. They're going to do two weeks of stuff, and then they're going to show up at your house and beg you for money. And we don't do that. Some churches do that. There's nothing wrong with that. We don't do that. No capital campaigns, no, ple- no, no thermometers. We don't do pledges. You know why we don't do pledges? In Acts chapter 6, there were pledges given by a couple named Ananias and Sapphira. They didn't fulfill their pledge. God struck them dead. We're not going to do pledges because I don't want to do hundreds of funerals. (laughs) So you know what we're going to do? We're going to let you know we believe because we're overcrowded, especially in children's ministries, that we need to build a building. We're going to move our offices out there. 
and you'll be generous and God will supply because if you know Jesus and you walk with Jesus and you honor Jesus giving us part of your worship and he was a generous savior to give his life on your behalf so you'll be generous to him. That's what happened here. Last time we built, we uh, borrowed $3.2 million. We had $3.4 million in the bank and uh, that $3.2 million just got a 15-year note on it and by God's grace in six years you paid it off. And uh, that's, that's the way we do things here. We believe that if you're taught the word and you fall in love with Jesus, you're going to be generous because Jesus was generous to you. And if you're not, you've got to ask yourself. If you look at your checkbook and it doesn't reflect generosity, the question is why not? Why not? Well, ultimately, what we know is the example, the ultimate example of humility and generosity is Jesus. Jesus. I've got a great story to share with you to conclude. 1991, we adopted our sister church in the Ukraine. And uh, I'm telling you, those folks uh, are are great folks. And as you know, uh, last month we had one team go to Ukraine, one team go to Rwanda. They came up here and uh, you graciously supplemented what they needed so they could go. And uh, there's some amazing things that have happened in our times back and forth with our sister church. And so uh, we're in the process of adopting a second sister church in Rwanda right now. So one team goes to Ukraine one week, and uh, while they're there, uh, Pavel, the pastor of our sister church, who you heard from about a month ago, um, was talking to Danny Cunningham, our executive pastor, who was there, and said, I'm sending you gone to Rwanda, tell me about it. And he said, well, I, I leave Ukraine, I go to Rwanda, we're adopting a church there. And uh, he said, you know, it reminds me of the early days here in the Ukraine, because uh, people there live in poverty. In Rwanda, the average wage is about $80 a month. That's it, $80 per month, period. And uh, he said, our sister church, there's a lot of poverty. Some of you folks have been there. I haven't been to the sister church yet. I've been to Rwanda a few times. And, and so Danny shared with Pavel in the Ukraine, the average wage in the Ukraine is about 700 bucks a month right now. And so he shared with Pavel, the uh, pastor of our sister church, that uh, he was going to Rwanda where the average wage is, you know, 80 bucks a month uh, to this new church that we're adopting and trying to hook up and have a relationship with. So Danny said I didn't say any more than that, but uh, at the end of my time there, what I found out is that in the five churches in Belyasirkov, the pastors had gotten together, that's in Ukraine where a sister church is, there are now five churches that have been planted, and he said those pastors got together, and on Sunday morning in their churches, they took up an offering to send to Rwanda to the people who were there. I'm thinking, wow, you're kidding me? And so they gave Danny an envelope, and uh, before he could uh, open the envelope, uh, uh, one of the young ladies came running up, and she's the lady who heads the deaf ministry to our, in our sister church in the Ukraine. And, and the deaf people in Ukraine are the widows of the first century. I mean, they are powerless. There's not much they can do. And, and there's a great sign ministry in our sister church in the Ukraine. And the lady that heads that up came running to Danny on the day that he's leaving and hands him an envelope and said, uh, all of us involved in the death ministry, these are people who have little or nothing. Uh, we took up an offering too, and she gave him enough grievna, that's a Ukrainian currency, that equals about $50. $50. People have nothing. And so Danny gets on a plane from Ukraine, gone to Rwanda, to bring to the Rwandese people who have absolutely nothing about $850, and he goes to the pastor there and the leaders there and said, you know, this comes from our sister church in the Ukraine who wanted to bless you, so you guys decide what to do with that. So they decided what they would do is they would buy some goats. 
because if they could buy some goats and the people in their church who are disenfranchised, who are poor, who are powerless, who have no way to sustain themselves, that they could uh, drink milk from those goats, they could sell milk from those goats, they could breed those goats, and they could have more goats. And so they would have a flock of, uh, not, they have, I was corrected, it's not a flock of goats, it's a herd of goats. They could have a herd, of, I said flock first hour, and ten people said it's a herd. So they could have a, they could have, I don't care what it is, you call it what you want, they had goats. Okay. And so, so 21 people are selected from our sister church in Rwanda to receive goats from our sister church in the Ukraine because in your generosity, you've been sending us there for years to be part of that ministry. And so your generosity towards people in the Ukraine has been displayed to people in Rwanda. And guess what those people in Rwanda did who received the goats? They made a commitment. Those 21 people made a commitment that the first kids, I found out that uh, baby goats are called kids, by the way, first hour as well, that the first kids that were born, they would not keep, they would not slaughter, but they would give to somebody else in their church so that they could start their own herd of goats as well. (laughs) So from a little church in Temple, Texas, 20 years ago, begins an example of generosity. People giving of their time, moving there for a year. People in Temple, Texas giving of their treasure. And now that has been multiplied to brothers and sisters in Rwanda who's now multiplying it to their brothers and sisters in Rwanda. All to the glory of God. Because God's people are generous and obedient. Father, that's our prayer. To be generous and obedient every day of our lives. Some of us are guilty. We're guilty of not being generous with you. We would be embarrassed if people saw what we gave. I pray that you would let us know Jesus more deeply because if we know Jesus more deeply, if we know Jesus deeply, we'll be generous. Others of us, Father, there are folks in this body who are generous. Thank you for them. All of us need to look to the Savior, who's the greatest example of humility and generosity, who offers to us eternal hope and eternal life. It's his name we pray. Amen.